Everyone gets the trophy podcast. We have, by popular demand, a special Ian Boyd, Paul Wadlington, Oklahoma Sooner season schedule review and preview, by the way. So Ian is. Uh, it was it was Sooner Scoop that demanded it. It was Sooner Scoop. These are the Sooners demanding Ian stake his flag, and Ian is more than happy to stake his flag. So uh, Ian is one of the more honest people that I've ever known, and he says that he doesn't say things that he doesn't believe, which I think is true, but I think he also stretches what he's willing to believe if he also thinks it will irritate Oklahoma fans. Uh, Ian is giggling because I think I just said something that hit home with him. I think so. I think it's been true. It's been something I've had to check because, like, um, I I strive so hard for objectivity, and uh, it gets hard to want to be objective when you've got Sooners tagging you in their threads all the time to just you know. But it's like it's a it's a it's a you know rat poison cheese trap whatever. It is. It is. So we are going to go through the Oklahoma season schedule. I've already done some of these previews. I did one with Joe Cook. I did one with Justin Wells. I did a couple with Randy Boone. Uh, really fun to do and actually kind of enlightening because until you have to actually go through the schedule and you kind of realize how the games fall and matchups and bye weeks. Sometimes your perception of a team will actually change as you're going through. And I'll, I got to tell you, Randy, I got to tell you, Ian, Randy and I did one with Iowa State right after the, the gambling thing broke. And as we're going through it, because we're, I was kind of thinking before, like, OK, they're still going to go five and seven, you know. And as I'm going through the schedule, I'm sort of saying I'm struggling to find wins. And but and before you know it, you're coming out and it's three and nine, four and eight, something crazy, and you're just like, whoa, like this is this is nuts. And so I don't know. It's an interesting way to look at it, and it's fun, and it's also Ian's opportunity to talk about OU as well as mine. Uh, I with OU, I can be too objective to a fault. Uh, when I'll, I'll sometimes give them too much credit. Uh, you know, generally that's been a good bet historically in the Big 12 to give OU too much credit. I used to do that. But, as well. Yeah. But when you see things start to crumble and you start to see the reality of talent and some coaching holes, perhaps in some areas, then you see, oh, you know, it's, it's not their mandate to win the Big 12 every year. So we're going to talk about that. But before I do that, I want to talk about a man who may just like Oklahoma Sooners even more than me and Ian Boyd. And that, that guy's Gabe Winslow. He's been a sponsor for this podcast from the very beginning. Uh, and he's an outstanding mortgage guy. He lives in Houston, but he does mortgages all over the great state of Texas. In fact, he's also licensed in Colorado. And he also can do mortgages in several other states. So if you're an out-of-stater, if you're not uh, in Texas, that doesn't mean you need to not call Gabe. You still need to pick up the phone and call him at minimum, even if he can't do your loan, he'll act as your consultant. So he'll, as an experienced mortgage guy with 20 years in the industry, he'll actually tell you the things to say to your mortgage guys to get the lowest rate. Uh, and he's done that before and he takes great delight in it because he thinks it's hilarious uh, and uh, loves to help Longhorns get phenomenal rates and, and great 
leverage in those situations. So give him a call, 832-557-1095. As I said, over 20 years in the industry, he's got a law degree, really sharp guy, great Longhorn, good dude, huge supporter of all things Texas. Uh, you'd be a fool not to call him. If he's not your first call, make sure he's your last. 832-557-1095. Also wanted to mention Laura Baker. If you're in the Centex area and you need to buy a house, call Laura. She's a top 10% 10 performer. And that makes a big difference in terms of real estate. You don't need to go with your your sister-in-law, Peg, who sells one house every other year because she got her realtor's license because she's bored. She's going to screw up your deal. You're going to lose your house and your wife's going to divorce you. <laughs> there, there's some real stakes here, people. Yeah, did, I build so that, did I build that up enough? This, none of that's coming from Laura, by the way. She's horrified right now listening to that. But uh, I, this is what I believe. If you want to get a great realtor, call her. Her name's Laura Baker. She is an award-winning member of the Keller Williams team with Andy Allen. 512-784-0505. 512-784-0505. So, Ian, you want to break down the Sooner schedule? Let's do it. Let's. Right. Uh, did you have any format in mind for this? We're going to go game by game. You're going to pick the winner. We're going to talk about the game to the degree to which you want to talk about it. And at the end, we'll compare our tallies and okay. see where we fall. Is that fair? Before we do that. I, I, you always have a – you can't just ever get into it. You always have – well, before we do that. All right. What is it, Ian? Maybe just a very brief overview of what Oklahoma is liable to be good at and bad at. Fast forward one hour. Ian's like, now, let us begin the schedule. <laughs> no, that's fair. I think we should do that. You want to you lead the way? Yeah, let me, let me start with this. Last year down the stretch, I'm going to explain something that confounded Oklahoma fans which is that they would build up a big lead early. Oh, I then... thought you were going to talk about how electricity works. <laughs> and then they would blow the game down the stretch. Right. And I foresee the same problem this year, which is that I, I think Jeff Levy is actually a really clever coordinator. He runs, he's the son-in-law of Art Bryles. I think he is the more appropriate heir of the system than is Kendall Bryles. I think Lebby is more creative and innovative. Maybe that's because so, he. So you think the you think the son-in-law is the true heir? Yeah. Interesting. All right. The the yeah the Game of Thrones machinations would seek to find a way to put him on the throne. I think. House Bryles. If the game was to get the best possible leader, um, he uh yeah. But here's the deal: they would scheme up early in lots of games like a some good fake bubble screens some wheel routes man beating route combinations that would involve like uh, coordinated motions or whatever he would scheme guys open early they'd hit a few of them they'd score they'd get up to a big lead then the other team would know the script they would know their plays and oklahoma from then on would have to finish the game with pure execution and they would totally fail to do so for a number of reasons. One was they only had one really good receiver on their team and Marvin Mims. Another was that Dylan Gabriel is not that great. Um, 
this year they don't have Marvin Mims. May or may not have anyone close to him in talent or ability. I think they are going to have that same problem where they scheme guys open early. And if a team is either going to weather it or not, but down the stretch, they're going to have some trouble. Yeah. To your point, they won, they lost, I should say seven of their last 10 games. Yeah. To include a loss to West Virginia near the end of the season. Yeah. That was borderline inexplicable. And it actually was a low scoring game against a bad West Virginia defense that just played hard, but they weren't talented. And that game script followed exactly what Ian is describing. They also, it was rainy, which is tough. And in Morgantown, but it's even tougher when your quarterback is 5'10", and that's not Mm -hmm. changing this year. West Virginia also came alive because they put in that uh, kid, Garrett Green, at quarterback. And Oklahoma had obviously not prepared for quarterback run game and got just embarrassed. That's right. One thing, so we'll we'll talk about this as we go through the schedule, but one thing that people may not fully realize is the degree to which Brent Venables is overhauling his roster. Yeah. Deion Sanders at Colorado is getting quite a bit of attention because he turned out, what, 50 dudes? Uh, The Oklahoma Sooners this year, 58% of their roster has been turned over. That's a that's a new football team, folks. And by the way, people praise all their work on the transfer portal. And from in many instances, they should praise that. That's that's good. They've been active. They've been trying to fill gaps. Is it a healthy sign if every significant transfer portal guy you grabbed is an immediate day one starter when they come in in the spring or in fall? Is that a sign of roster health? No, I would submit no. And so maybe it's a fix, maybe not. It it could be a fix, but if you need that many fixes, put it this way. If if I'm talking to my realtor and she's like, this needs to be fixed. This needs to be fixed. This, they fix this. I'm like, what do I not know about that? They weren't able to fix or what do I, what's about to break (laughs) in other areas. So uh, I just think that there's, there's, this is an interesting crossroads for Oklahoma. And I have brought up many times that they received an amazing gift of a schedule. And I I stand by that. Their schedule is a joke. But Ian told me something very sage, and it's absolutely true. If they suck, it doesn't matter. (laughs) And that's kind of true. You know, Ultimately, and that, that's true on two levels. One, it means even if, so if you're not good, even those other teams who are flawed or are challenged, you know, you're now involved in nip and tuck affairs every Saturday, right? Against any team with the pulse. The other part of that is, say they go nine and three against that soft schedule. Are we scared of them in a big 12 title game? So that's the point that Ian made to me. And it sort of, caught me in my tracks and I was like, yeah, I I think that's true. And I I think I wrote in my preview that I think they're going to be improved by record, but they might be a marshmallow ogre. You know, they look big and scary and imposing and you touch them and your finger goes in and they, they go, Oh, that hurts because they're a marshmallow ogre. (laughs) I'll go a little bit further. 
a little bit further than that. All right, do it. What was your projected win-loss record for Texas in 2021? 2021. Oh, wow. I think said I said seven and five. That was you did a lot better than most of us. I was like eight or nine. And I was like, I don't think this team can go to a Big 12 championship, but they could be good. Yeah. And I was like, all my normal metrics for looking at a team, I was like, they're they don't look good here. They don't look that good here either. They might be good here. And they're iffy here, right? But I was like, but they have a lot of linemen back. They have Bijan Robinson. They can run the ball. They can play some defense. This is what I thought. You're and, hearing rumors of Casey Thompson's dedication to film study. Oh, that was definitely not a part of my. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, another thing I said was, but the Big 12 is weak. Right. The schedule. Here's a couple truths. One, the Big 12 is not. This this might be one of the weaker years in the Big 12, especially if you have OU schedule. But the Big 12 is very good at presenting you with a ton of losable games. Yeah. And if you are not elite or at least like great, the number of games in the Big 12 schedule that are losable is always way higher than you think. To to illustrate Ian's point, a lot of average to above average teams in aggregate will put losses on you. So for example, let's just do a simple math exercise. You play a team that you have a 70% chance of beating. Okay. If you play three teams that you have a 70% chance of beating, what's your chance of being undefeated after three games? About 33%, 34%. Yeah. Does that make sense? And so you play that out over a conference schedule and suddenly you you start to realize, oh, wow. And, and on top of that, and Ian and I've talked about this at length, Big 12 tweet teams run on weird developmental cycles. And there's always, not always, but often a team that you sort of have comfortably projected to the seller and you have lots of evidence as to why they should be there. And then they rise up and they play for the national title. <laughs> So that's an extreme example, but you also get Baylor in, in, you know, 2021 was it? Yeah. And 2019. And 2019 where yeah. the, the developmental cycle hits and they're a pretty darn good football team. So anyway, point is schedule is not everything. Do you want to get into it? I had another point there and I don't, but I don't remember what it was. I'm glad. I think it was just that, uh, I, Oh, well, another thing with Texas is that it's like, well, but it's still four stars versus three stars. And the same is true for Oklahoma. And it's funny. It's been really entertaining absorbing Sooner content for the last two years. Because it looks like ours. It's just so familiar. It's yes. like, oh, yeah, I once thought as you did. Yes. And And they think that they really believe that there's something about Oklahoma that is different from Texas where they're totally immune to the problems that Texas has had sooner magic. I think that there, there are some things that they are immune to that are problems at Texas that they could probably put their finger on accurately, but so much of what has made them uniquely good has been 
insane stability where they had, I mean, until Brent Venables fired him, Kale Gundy was there for like almost like 25 years. Lincoln Riley retained much of Bob Stoops' staff. And the guys that he got rid of were like Mike Stoops, like the nepotism hire that was terrible. Um, that stability was the big factor. And you know that the smart people that do run the show at Oklahoma, they know it because what did they do? They hired Brent Venables to come back. Yeah. They retained Kale Gundy. They were ret retained Bill Biedenboe and uh, some of the guys that were key to the offense being good, DeMarco Murray, right? And then they bring in a uh, an alumni in Jeff Levy. So they know, they know what's up. They know the score, even if the fans don't. It's a great point. So on that note, you want to tackle their, their schedule? Right. An hour later. Let's An hour later. One hour later. All right. They're going to open September 2nd, Saturday, at early in the morning against Arkansas State. Ian, there have been occasional Arkansas State teams that have been decent. Yeah. Uh, I don't think this is necessarily one of them. One thing I will say about Venables and his game planning, and we actually saw it last year, is that they, they're they not immune to running some shortcuts to feast on an offense, right? Instead of just running sort of base stuff to practice, OU will cut some corners, do some crazy blitzes and stunts against inferior teams, and just sort of dominate them. I think you saw that early last year. Uh, you saw it against Nebraska, right? And... You know, that's how the Sooners were number six in the country after their first three games last year. And a lot of it had to do with sort of shortcuts, you know. And I don't know what's going to happen against Arkansas State. I know OU's going to win the game, and I think they're going to win it convincingly. What do you think? I just looked up and found that Arkansas State's head coach is Butch Jones. That's right. He's entering his third year. Yep. Uh, year, uh, year one, they went two and ten. That's not good. Year two, they got better in, in a few different ways, but they went three and nine. Mm. And then uh, year three is this one. I think four and eight's on the horizon, buddy. What's the uh, what's the thing that you, you lose big, then you lose small, then you... Win small, win big. Small, then you win big. So uh, I, don't, I don't know if they're quite on that trajectory. He's he is a recruiter. I I, I assume that Oklahoma will overwhelm them. But, I agree. Uh, it, it a week one. I I mean, if this was on Texas's schedule, I'd be like, hey, look look out. There could be some like scares here. You know? No. No. I, I don't. <laughs> I think OU is going to handle them. No problem. I, I, don't, I don't think Oklahoma is going to lose this game. I'm not okay. even. I'm not even on the fence. I'm just saying, this this is the profile of a team that could be like an unpleasant week one opponent that like doesn't give you the feel goods. You know, I don't even know if they're that man. I don't think they're very good. I think they've had a, quite a fall off. So, how's he recruiting, Butch Jones? I can't tell you because I don't follow Arkansas State. Yeah, but... I'm not a big Arkansas State Red Wolves fan. Uh, uh, well, whatever. Let's, they, move they, to, get, let's move on to let's move on to game two, Ian. 
if we're getting stuck, if we're getting stuck on Arkansas State, this is going to be long. Yeah. Let's go to game two. This game is a little more interesting because at least one side of the ball could be a test, and that's SMU travels to Norman to play Oklahoma. Uh, SMU is entering the Stone Age. Preston Stone, former oh. four-star quarterback from the DFW area, is going to be the quarterback. And a lot of SMU people think he's a talent upgrade over Tanner Mordecai, yeah. but he doesn't have the experience. So this could be interesting. SMU, quietly, I think, unless you're really following football, they work the portal pretty well. And they have some interesting players coming in. They have not played any defense in quite some time. And I, I mean, they have basketball scores on the reg. So I think we could learn something about OU's defense here. I think OU's offense could stop themselves, theoretically. I don't know, with penalties or stupid turnovers. Uh, is there a shot that SMU pulls a shocker here? Yeah, there is. But I, I would think OU's going to going to win this game the question to me is how like what does it look like i have this one as like a 60 to 65 percent ou chance okay because and if it were in dallas it'd be like alarm bells ringing getting it in norman is a, a big boost for sure okay so you have you have this as an ou win see the thing is is that Game by game, you want to say that most of them are OU wins, but they won't be. Unless I agree. That's that's part of – so I'm like you and that when people ask me a season record for Texas, OU, whoever, I take an aggregation of percentages and probabilities, and then I create a season win total. I don't go pick I, I, game I, by game. Yeah, I'm going to put this as a loss. Wow. Holy moly. We got a big I, upset right out the gate. SMU has really good skill talent. And they have a hurry up, no huddle scheme. They're just very well calibrated to stress out an Oklahoma defense that is, A, not really overpowered with talent yet. I think it will be. I think Venables is doing a pretty good job of recruiting. But they're not there yet, for sure. They have a ton of transfers and they have a lot of shaky guys at like linebacker. And uh, I don't know if they've really got the scheme down yet. This is just, those are all things where it's like you go up against a team that has legitimate skill talent and employs tempo and spread spacing. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that that's what happened against TCU last year. Well, the, yeah, to, to Ian's point, OU's secondary was bustier than Dolly Parton. <laughs> a lot of busts. So that said, I think my counterpoint and why I think OU wins this ultimately, I just don't see OU, I don't see SMU getting stops. Because the defense that they play at their level isn't well constructed to shut down some of the weaknesses that I know OU's offense has. So, yeah. and also I think Levy is going to be very good at manufacturing a running game. Yeah, I, I, yes, I agree. I will okay. say, I will say just real quick before we move sure. on, because this is a relevant point for every game. Yes, sir. Oklahoma's tight end, star running back, star wide receiver, and both offensive tackles were drafted. 
from last year's team. There's this assumption that because Oklahoma was bad last year, it's like, well, year two, they'll be right. better in year two. They very likely will not be better on offense. On defense, if they're not better, just immediately fire Brent Venables because it's not going to work. I'll, so I'll say this before we go on to Tulsa. I, I think that's a great point. And it's a point that I actually make in my preview. Uh, the 2023 Longhorn Football Prospectus, Thinking Texas Football, available now at Am- Amazon, Smashwords, and Apple. Uh, I love OU's long- young running backs, actually. Yeah, yeah, they are good. They're great. Uh, I really think you make a good point about the offensive line and wide receiver. I'm concerned about OU's wide receiver room against a good secondary. I yeah. think that they could get like, embarrassed uh now that's not going to show up against most teams because most college football teams don't have very good secondaries uh but i think that's going to show up at a couple a couple of key junctures in the sooner season so i have ou at two and oh ian has them at one and one monumental upset there uh oklahoma's now going to travel to tulsa which should be effectively a home game with a bunch of sooner fans in the stands tulsa looks pretty bad so i've got a sooner win here no problems yeah i know that um they traded some players to the oklahoma state and i'm pretty sure oklahoma state got the better end of the bargain on all the transfer portal trades i don't think yep. we need to talk too much about tulsa nope who's, who's even the head coach there <sighs> i don't know i used to know stuff like that and i just don't know anymore philip montgomery was fired and yes he- you freeze hired him. Oh, it's Kevin Wilson. <laughs> That's interesting, actually. Ke- yeah, that is interesting. But I don't think he has any players. So I don't think it gets that interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Um, he got, he got uh, the um, he got the younger Presley from Oklahoma State in the transfer portal. Oh, interesting. All right. Well, let's move on. Oklahoma is going to have their first real road game. And it's their Big 12 opener against the mighty Cincinnati Bearcats. Oh, Ian, if this game had only happened in 2021 with Desmond Ritter and eight other NFL draft picks, the Sooners would be in big trouble. But uh, if you guys have bought and read my preview, you know that I'm very much down on Cincinnati for many reasons. One, they don't have a lot of good players. Two, I don't like their coach. Uh, Three, I think they're... I think Luke Fickle, unlike Matt Campbell, had a very strong sense of timing. And I think he understood his roster better than any of us. And I don't think he was impressed. So the, uh, the one area that I will say, and I like to, whenever a team's outmatched, I do like to look at what unit might present a challenge. And we might learn something about that. Cincinnati, for all the trash I just talked about them, has elite defensive tackles. Two really good starting defensive tackles in Dante Corleone and Jawan Briggs. So if OU hasn't gotten better inside, kind of like Texas, they got some questions on the interior offensive line. If they haven't gotten better on the inside, it could get a little interesting in in pieces until they can sort of scheme around it. But otherwise, I still like OU to go on the road and and get a big W. Yeah, I think this one is... If they were in Norman, I feel like this would be just a slam dunk. I think playing tackling Emily Bates on the road and handling those defensive tackles on the road. Emory Jones. 
Ebony Bates, I always do this. He's the uh, he's a local Ypsilanti kid that is uh, now in the NBA, or at least uh, he was in the summer league. Um, sorry, listeners. He played at the rec league where I've recently coached my young son to a nearly undefeated season. Uh, Whoa! Never tell Ian he's not a coach. <laughs> That's basketball, though. So the, the Cincinnati quarterback that Ian is talking about Emory. is Emory. His name's Emory Jones. He's a former starter at Florida. He was benched there because he is erratic and he can't throw, but he's very athletic. He's very athletic. He's a very good uh, zone option guy, which uh, Satterfield, the new head coach, loves that. I, I feel like this is going to be a, uh uncomfortable win for Oklahoma. Okay. So we've got – I've got OU at 4-0 – and, and Ian's got him at three and one. Uh, now, <laughs> a game that could have been interesting two months ago is now less interesting. Iowa State limps into Norman on September 30th. Uh, I thought this game could have been very interesting. And now Iowa State, I don't think they have an offense that can give many teams a problem, much less OU. Uh, I've, I have this as a Sooner victory. I think the Sooners are 5-0. and oh. And by the way, they're now ranked like 13th or 12th in the AP poll. Maybe higher. Maybe higher. It's getting awesome here. So what do you think? Are you calling the big uh, John Heacock upset? Was Iowa State pulled this off 7-3 to three or something? No. If it were in Ames, I think it would be maybe like another uncomfortable win. Mm-hmm. Iowa State this year, man, I think – they can and should play JJ Cole early. They're uh, a yeah. freshman. Yep. He's he's really impressive, but he needs a run game. So it's like if if Iowa State can run the ball this year, they're going to be trouble for everyone on the schedule. But it's an enormous if. Like if they can really run the ball this year, I mean they can beat Oklahoma and Norman. They can beat Texas nope. potentially for sure. No. 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 Here's why. Because they can it's, run the ball. If they can well, run the ball. Yeah, I mean, if and if my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle. So right. well, it doesn't look that promising. Go ahead. That's it. So not only did they not run the ball last year, it was the, one of the worst standard running games I've ever seen. Um, they lost their starting right tackle to the gambling, and they lost their best running back. So. There's no indication that they're going to get better running the ball. Uh, now, I do I do know they made some hires. And, and actually, one of the offensive linemen coaches they hired, it looks actually pretty interesting. But uh, I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball. And I think Oklahoma wins. I've got them at 5-0. and oh. You got them at 4-1? and one? Yep, no doubt. Okay. I, yeah. Now. Iowa State is really feisty. We'll know before then. And it'll be a chew-your-nails kind of game for a Sooner fan. But right now, I, I think it's a pretty safe Oklahoma victory. All right. Maybe so. Yeah. Maybe TJ Tampa has a pick six. Maybe, you know, they have to, stuff happens. They have to actually be good. They have to have, like, some player on their roster that we don't know about right now that is secretly awesome. Yeah. Okay. Talking about awesome and not a secret. Red River shootout, baby. And I don't do the Red River rivalry bullshit. Oh, y'all suck it. It's Red River shootout. Oklahoma, Texas. Are you worried that recent events have derailed your retirement plans? 
It certainly made us reassess all aspects of ours. And that's why we're proud to offer our listeners a chance to work with David McClellan, a fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. David's practice specializes in financial life coaching and retirement planning. And right now, he's offering free consultations for our listeners if you mention the podcast. As part of this consultation, David can help you understand your financial freedom number and what that means to you in assessing your future financial plans. If you want to build wealth, if you want to make optimal decisions within your financial life, David is someone you need to talk to. You can reach him at 312-933-8823. Once again, That's David McClellan at 312-933-8823. He's located in Austin, Texas, but he's got a nationwide clientele. Do yourself a favor and get some great financial advice for free and see if you might want to work with Mr. McClellan. I think you'll be happy with your phone call. What do we got? Uh, For you, this will probably be Oklahoma's first loss of the season. And for me, it'll be their second. I agree. In fact, I think I have an idea. Well, okay, first of all, let me bow to the, the this game, which is it is one of the few rivalries where throw out the score, throw out the records, it doesn't matter. Actually, most rivalries are chalk. The better team beats the inferior team. I've watched Texas OU ever since I was a kid, and I've watched legitimately bad Texas football teams beat OU. I've watched legitimately bad OU teams tie or beat Texas. I've watched equivalent teams that are evenly matched. I've watched OU blow us out like we're 1-11, and right? I've watched, I mean, <laughs> we beat Baker Mayfield <laughs> and a really good team with Gerard Hurd. <laughs> like, I mean, crazy stuff happens in this game. That all said, I can't handicap crazy. What I can handicap is the matchups. And I think at some point... Pete Kwiatkowski and the Texas defense is going to realize that the Texas defensive backs can manhandle the OU receivers. And at that point, Lebby's script is going to run out. His cleverness is going to run out. We're going to clamp down. We're going to clamp down on the running game. And we're going to win by a couple touchdowns. Yeah. I also think um, that, I mean, if you listen to Oklahoma people, trying to project the depth chart for the season. I've heard at different points, like three or four cornerbacks mentioned as the second starter next to Woody Washington. Yes. That is not. And then the cheetah position, their nickel glorified nickel. Um, this is, they do not have the ideal secondary to face Texas's skill talent at wide receiver. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I have said early and often the future of their secondary is getting the killer bees up to speed as quickly as possible. Bowen and Bowman. Bowman, I think he's pretty much, he was pretty good last year. I'm impressed by Bowman. And I think Bowen is potentially a like stud, like star. Yeah, he's awesome. So, the quicker they can get those two guys up to speed. And then Woody Washington is fine. He's never become the dude that he was promised to be. Yeah. Uh, but I think he's fine. I think you, you, you nailed it. The, it. the other issue is the other corner. And then they need to decide if the cheetah is a true nickel who like covers guys or is it a glorified linebacker who blitzes. So if me and you were advising Venables, we'd be like in spring, we would have been go all in 
on getting Bowman and Bowen on the field together. And up to speed. And then play the transfer tech kid at the other spot. Pearson. Pearson. He's going to keep you from busting, right? Let him call the signals. Build around Bowen and Bowman at safety and nickel. Yes. Probably Bowman at nickel and Bowen at safety. And they did not do that. And we'll see how it goes for them. Yeah. Um, So I think Texas wins. I agree with you. Um, again, it's a crazy game and that's why it drives us crazy and we love it. One other thing on this game, just in general. No, no. no okay. What it is. <laughs> Both teams generally prepare for this game like it's the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. It's a very NFL type of game in terms of the, the attention to detail on matchups and preparation by the players everything if one side doesn't hold up their end of the deal it can be a blowout yeah i've seen a lot of mac brown teams in particular that were very very good teams that looked like crap teams in dallas because they didn't hold up their end of the deal on preparation and intensity no doubt about that no question uh I think the concerns there on the are on the Red River, on north of the Red River right now. Maybe so. Well, I've got another concern for OU. They get a bye to lick their wounds after the loss to Texas, uh-huh. and, and the other team that they're playing that's going to be visiting them in at in Norman has a bye before they play OU as well, and that team is led by a man named Gus Malzahn. I'm talking about the UCF Knights. They don't like to be called the Golden Knights anymore, Ian, just so you know. And one thing we know about Gus Malzahn, Ian, is he likes to prepare, speaking of Super Bowls, he likes to pick a team or two on his schedule every year that will get the maximal impact and make the most waves to beat. And he likes to start prepping for them back in the spring, (laughs) much less the summer, much less the week before in the bye week or another opponent. Uh, and the reason, and, and we've seen Gus Malzahn upset a lot of football teams, whether he was the coach at Auburn, whether at UCF. We've also seen him stub his toe against some terrible football teams, which is the negative consequence of, of his approach. He's the, he's the anti-Brian Kelly, right? Uh, I think Gus Malzahn, if John Reese Plumley is still healthy and standing at this point of the season... I think he's going to have something for the Sooners. And I have this as a UCF upset in Norman. What you got, Ian Boyd? Far be it from me. <laughs> I will add that uh, I think it's possible that UCF is actually a legitimately better football team next year than Oklahoma. <laughs> Setting aside the preparation I don't think they're going to have a very good defense, UCF. But I think they're going to try to control the ball and control tempo and just flummox the OU defense that I think they may be able to pull it out. So what do you think? you think this is an L for the Sooners? Yeah. All right. I do too. I've got them at five and two. You've got them at four and three. They've lost three in a row in your ledger, Ian. 
Now, OU gets to travel to Lawrence, Kansas. Historically, not only a W for the Sooners, but I don't know, a 50-point win, and they get to play their third-stream quarterback sometime in the late third quarter. No longer the case. I don't think that's going to be the case this time either. I think this game is going to be a flat-out shootout. I think Kansas is well-constructed on offense to put lots of points on the Sooners. That said, I think OU is going to kind of move up and down the field on Kansas. And it's in Lawrence, which may actually mean something for once to say that. Well, what do you what do you think happens here? Talk to me. Do you remember that two years ago they needed some Caleb Williams magic to get out of Lawrence with a win? I do remember that. That was kind of their uh, Vince Young slumber, right? That uh, game. I mean, let's not so, compare the greatest to Caleb Williams to a man who paints his nails. Um, I, I do remember that. My point is historically OU's taken Kansas to the woodshed. Let's yeah. let's not point out the one exception, contrarian. No doubt. All right. Contrarian, yeah. Contrarian had to have his had to have his say right there. What uh, do you think happens? I'm not going to lead it off with my prediction. What do you think happens? I'm going to give Oklahoma this win, but the L may be more deserved here than the ones that I handed them at SMU or uh, uh, who else? There's another one that I gave them. Who's the other? Who's the L, other L that I gave them? Uh, you tried to talk yourself into Arkansas State. It's all blending well, I together. I, I don't you... think Arkansas State has a realistic. I just think that they might be more interesting than Oklahoma fans would like. Right. That, that's as bold as I'll be about Arkansas State. I got it. So you I, have OU winning this game. Yeah. I'll give them this win. But if they beat UCF or uh, – if they beat SMU, Cincinnati, there's no way that they that they get like the majority of the games out of SMU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Kansas. I agree. Like if they if yeah. they won one of those other ones, they're going to drop this one for sure. I agree. Uh, I think OU wins this game by the skin of their teeth. Yeah. And I'm talking about a block extra point, like 38-37, and. Yeah. I think if it's Kansas plus three, Kansas plus six, I don't know what the line is. If it's Kansas and it has, has a plus next to it, I'm taking Kansas. But nonetheless, I have a Sooner victory. The Sooners are now five and three in Ian's book, six and two in mine. Bowl eligible. And bowl eligible. Congratulations. You. you might get to go back to the Cheez-It Bowl. And now they're traveling to Stillwater to play a team that they have owned, despite Mike Gundy's consistency, despite him constantly dragging the Cowboys into almost eternal respectability since he became the head coach there. It, Mike Gundy's not done well against the Sooners. And is this a chance to put an L on the departing Sooners? By the way, we haven't talked about the dynamics of the Big 12. We haven't talked about the fact that Texas gets most most of the slings and arrows, but OU may get, catch a few as well. Could could uh, could OU get your marked in Stillwater? Ooh, Ian's throwing an L. 
they are so dismissive of Oklahoma State this year. As a program, as a fan base, I have yet to hear an Oklahoma fan that thinks that Oklahoma State will be anything other than like the trash that you see get washed into the gutters. <laughs> like even the most objective Oklahoma guys I've heard this year are still yeah. like Oklahoma State is going to be straight trash this year. Okay. There is going to be so much wrath and focus waiting for them in Stillwater. And I think Oklahoma State might actually be legitimately good. I think I don't know if we agree on that or not. I think we there's there's so much resting on Alan Bowman and the offensive line being below average to average at least instead of bad. Yeah. But but I I do hear you, Ian. Uh, I think this is going to be a jihad game in Stillwater. I think it's going to be nuts. I think OU pulls it out by like the skin of their teeth again. I think it's going to be another close, harrowing victory. But I I don't think you're crazy for predicting a loss at all. So there's two like counterpoints here. One is, as a big brother, I always say. Always bet on Big Brother. Yeah. In the do or die. He's got all the mental edges on the little brother, right? And there's no doubt who's who in that story. Yet, gun to your head, huge game, enormous stakes. Are you betting on Mike Gundy or Brent Venables? I mean, if it comes down to game management, Mike Gundy. No doubt. Yeah, you're you're making me think. I, I've got it. I mean, I I hear you. I hear you. All right, you want to get out of Stillwater? Yeah. So where are we at now? I'm at like. Uh... You're five and four. I'm seven and two. I'm a disgusting I... sooner lover. I you're not you're not doing me any favors when. Uh... <laughs> oh, <laughs> for the contrast. And this is broken down later, yeah. Because the OU fans will be like, see, at least one of them was objective. Well, hold on, OU fans. Paul tried so, to talk some sense into Ian. But... Paul tried to talk sense into Ian, probably because... Yeah. <laughs> Ian awesome. is too much of an idiot, yeah. That's right. All right, well, we've got West Virginia, and I think they're going to be limping into Norman November 11th. Neil Brown might already be fired. <laughs> we don't know. Um. I will say this. I know what Neil Brown wants to do. He wants to run the ball with CJ Donaldson, a 240-pound talented running back, former tight end, with Green, the mobile quarterback, a decent offensive line. Maybe better than decent. Mm, People confuse returning starts with good sometimes, but... Uh, I'll say decent, and they're going to want to shorten the game, run the ball to hide what should be a fairly horrendous defense. If that's a formula that can work, OU could be susceptible to it. I just think OU at home with West Virginia likely staggering down the stretch, I think this is a sooner victory. I Yeah, I have an Oklahoma win. 
Although they're going to want to hope that Neil Brown was fired before, like well beforehand. You don't want the team that just had their coach fired. That's often. Oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah. You get the little rejuvenative effect. I don't know if you saw Georgia Tech play at all last year, but they were absolutely horrendous, like an embarrassment to football early. They fired their coach and they finished the year four and four and they beat Mac Brown's North Carolina. (laughs) Yeah. Interest rates are up and the market is tumultuous. And now more than ever, you need the best darn possible mortgage broker working on your behalf. That's Gabe Winslow. And you can reach him at 832-557-1095. Or you can go to mortgagesbygabe.com. What makes Gabe so unique? Well, he's incredibly bright. He's a UT grad. He's got a law degree. He's been in the mortgage industry for over 20 years, and he is a true mortgage broker. What does that mean? It means he can shop for the best deal at over 80 different lenders and find you the terms that best suit you. Most mortgage guys you talk to won't reveal that they have exactly one size fits all for you and exactly one conduit to get your loan. If you are in these hyper-competitive markets and you're in these markets that are frankly gotten a a lot less friendly to the consumer, you need the best possible person working on your behalf. That's Gabe Winslow. He has our full endorsement. You can reach him at 832-557-1095. With Drake May. So yeah, there's some truth to what you're saying. All right. Now OU gets to travel to Utah, Provo, Utah. In mid-November, November 18th, it's getting a little chilly in the air, Ian. They're going to go to altitude, and they're going to play a team that's a little bit of a mystery. I think they're going to be a little bit of an enigma. I, I feel pretty confident in how I think Houston and Cincinnati are going to do in the Big 12. Not well. Uh, I feel pretty confident in how UCF is going to do, which is up and down, but ultimately pretty respectably. BYU is a big question mark for me. I think they have some massive holes. I also think they have some intriguing stuff going on. And they typically don't lack for physicality, generally speaking. So is Kalani Satake going to circle this as the circle the wagons? This is defend our house game against the visiting Sooners. What's going to happen, Ian? Ian's throwing up an L. Oh, my goodness. The Sooners are 6-5. and five. Talk me through this, Ian. I think... Um they will play off man or single high zone and make sure that Oklahoma doesn't beat them over the top on their like sucker plays and play action, deep shots, all that, all that stuff. And then I think Oklahoma is going to have to earn it against uh, some uh, 24 year olds with marriages and mortgages and uh, Pacific Islanders playing at home in chilly weather at altitude. I think it's a, I think that's a bad formula for veer and shoot success on offense. And then uh, BYU picks on a beaten up secondary that has too many young guys and has had some injuries and yeah. Interesting trait about the BYU offense, Ian, not a lot of speed, but their tight end, 6'6", 260. Their second tight end is this freshman phenom who's come in and apparently blown them away. He's about 6'5", 245. And they're oh, really? two is best... That... Sorry? You know his name? 
I, I'll look it up in a second. I don't know if off, offhand. Uh, and then they've got two receivers who go about 6'4", 215. OU's secondary, not big. They, and not they have old. A, and not old, not experienced. So there is a game plan for BYU's offense, even if it's not great, sort of styles make fights. There may be an opportunity for them to just sort of play high, high pitch and catch, right? And that is kind of what Keaton Slovis is good at. That's the only thing I, I think Keaton Slovis is really good at. And I think that could get very interesting. Once again, I feel weak for doing this. I think that's a game OU can pull out. But I am really torn on this one because it screams trap game. But I'm going to take the Sooners. Nine and two. You got them at six and five. They finish up their season with the mighty TCU Horn Frogs in Norman. Ian, you know that it's well documented that I've said fade the Frogs this year. Doesn't mean they're going to be terrible. Uh, I actually love their secondary. I like their defense. I think they might have the second best defense in the league. If they can find decent defensive end play to, to complement Demonic Williams. That said, I think they're going to go in and they're going to be or shoot out, which is take that good secondary respect them and say hey beat us if you can beat us beat us otherwise we're going to take our nose tackle he's going to disrupt the middle and then we're going to attack you with numbers and what tcu does excel at with gillespie which is timed run blitzes which can mess with levy's system especially the big gaps the spread big line splits sometimes that that is the the cheat code to really mess that up and by the time you catch up to it and you start to punish it later in the game, you're sometimes you're already down 17 or 21 points, and it doesn't really matter. I like TCU to go in and win on the road and beat OU 9-3. and three. What do you got, Ian? Tell me, tell me the Sooners pull this out. I was leaning OU, but you made such a great case. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it's six and 6-6 six with the... Need to win the Texas Bowl to finish above 500. Oh my goodness, the Sooners are six and six. You know, I have we, nine and three. You know what we didn't get into though? What's that? Oklahoma has like five positions where they cannot afford an injury. Okay, quarterback, I think. Is that no, no, no. I'm gonna stop you there. Because every Sooner homer who might be listening to this podcast is saying, hey, man, a quarterback injury could be a blessing. Jackson Arnold is amazing. I mean, it may be a blessing for 2024. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a blessing for 2023. I think that's true. I, I think Arnold is a, is a good fit for that scheme. He was a great recruiting win, but you don't want to play him in year one, uh, especially with the receivers that they have. A, a young quarterback really every college quarterback, but certainly a freshman. You want the guy where it's like, hey, when in doubt, 
throw it at this guy and he's probably going to be open. Or he'll make a play for you. Play for you. They don't have that guy. I, I agree. That's you don't want to play Jackson Arnold this season unless it's like on your terms. Um, tackle, offensive tackle. Yes. Two guys that they think might be really good in uh, Tyler Guyton and uh, the Stanford transfer, Walter Rouse. I, they, they very well might, might be right. Those guys might be terrific fixed season. Behind them, they have a lot of nothing. Yeah. Tight end, they have Austin Stogner, who's back from transfer, and then nothing. Yeah. Um, linebacker in general, they have Danny Stutzman, who was solid last year, could be really good this year. And then, yeah, Paul's not sure. And then a lot of guys that are like, not going to be great this year. It's funny, Sooner fans drive me crazy in that they all talk about Danny Stutzman like he's Brian Urlacher. And then they sort of downplay Billy Bowman or Bowen or the guys that I think could be the true breakouts for their defense that could fix them. Um, I don't think Stutzman's bad. I just, like, they point to statistics and someone has to make the tackle on a bad defense. <laughs> right? Yeah. And and I have plenty of evidence, and I don't, I'm not the guy of like, how you did against my team is how good you are. Danny Stutzman sucked against Texas. Okay. Roshan Johnson straight up ran him over, like put his cleat marks on his chest and ran him over on a, on a simple inside zone play where Stutzman was unblocked. Uh, and then I saw some other plays where he didn't look great. I, I'm not the guy of like, however you played against us is determines you. I understand there's other games, but I did watch him in some other games and I wasn't blown away. I just watched him and said, fine. That, that was like my reaction to him. So I just am a little freaked out at all the, he's, you know, all first team, all big 12. I mean, you know, I'm prepared to be wrong, but I just don't see it. I think he might be good this year. I, I yeah. but they, he cannot be hurt. I agree. Cornerback Woody Washington. I don't think that much of Woody Washington, but I, I do think that if he gets hurt, it's very bad news. Yeah, he's got a ton of experience. They have a lot of guys that I think are going to be really good eventually. But but it's too early. It's too early. Yeah. How many positions was that? Four? Yeah. Four positions where if you lose a guy, you are in the deep end. You know, um, and that's, I mean, I don't know what the critical mass is there, but I feel like they're there. I think the thing fundamentally they're going to run into and whether they go six and six or the upside of nine and three that I, that I threw out is how do you craft an offense built on a really robust running game that you manufacture both honestly and also sort of by hook and crook, like Bryles, little Bryles tricks, right? Which I, I'm, it's good. It's good football. I'm not criticizing it. But it has to have the complement of the deep shot. It has to have the complement of the receivers you fear. Do you remember some of those Baylor receivers 
where oh, once yeah. they'd established the deep shot, they could run a 12-yard stop route anytime they felt like it, and you wouldn't even see the defender in the screen as he caught it. Yeah. Jaleel Farouk is sort of Jordan Whittington with maybe a little more oomph, maybe a little more speed. But he's he's not a, like, stretch the field, you know, I think he's better after the catch than before the catch, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's their best receiver that I know is a known quantity. And there a lot of the other stuff I read, I mean, you're, you're making me laugh because you and I were texting about this privately, but a lot of OU Sooner Scoop reports and things like that read like Texas stuff from six years ago of this guy. Yeah, he's a he's a third string transfer from Michigan, but he's really turning heads because he's six two guy. <laughs> he's six two two hundred, right? And you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> he couldn't start he couldn't play at michigan like Ours what are you talking named about Drake black <laughs> yes 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 so uh, how do you run that offense against now can you run that offense and make it work against a mediocre defense with dylan gabriel at quarterback and some good sooner roster like a great offensive line coach you know like yes that can work but you reach a a, a point where your drop-off isn't proportionate, it's actually catastrophic when you play a defense that just goes, we kind of think your receivers suck. So we're going to man them, and we're going to actually put an extra person in the box, and we don't think you can beat us. So go ahead and do that. I have an example of this. Do it. Georgia versus Tennessee last year. Yes, sir. Tennessee runs the same offense. They got up in their grill. And they were like, you you try that on us. We're going to play man coverage and we feel okay about it. And yep. we don't have 220-pound DeMarco Hellams trying to carry a wheel route from Jalen Hyatt. So let's see what you got now. And uh, Georgia shut them down. And, and let me suggest that – while Georgia is a step up from any team that OU will play, right. Tennessee is a significant step up from Oklahoma. No doubt. Uh, oh, uh, Dylan Gabriel is not Hendon Hooker. Jalen Hyatt, uh, Jaleel Farouk is not Jalen Hyatt. Uh, he's not even Cedric Tillman. I'm not even sure he's Brew McCoy. No. So, so, and they don't have a first round NFL tackle anymore as Tennessee did with Darnell Washington. So like, I think that actually the met, the parallels that Ian's drawing are correct, right? I'm not suggesting Texas's defense is last year's Georgia. No one is, but OU ain't last year's Tennessee. Yeah. So I think that's a good point. Um, I think there's a little less of a timing element to Levy's offense than Heupel's, but the point holds. I mean, it, it, it holds. And so, that's why I was comfortable predicting a TCU and a Texas loss for OU. Don't act like you were brave in predicting Oklahoma's schedule. Nine and I'm, three. I'm very brave. Uh, I think the actual over-under number in Vegas is nine and a half. So we're actually both taking the under. So 
it's it's interesting in that as you said and cautioned right don't let schedule solely dictate your perspective and maybe i did that to a to a fault because i do have three games that i specifically said somehow ou is going to scratch and claw and pull this out by a point right and you said that about a team with a second year head coach and dylan gabriel as their quarterback See, Dylan Gabriel, I'm conflicted on, Ian, to be honest, because I see all of his faults, but the guy doesn't average 8.8 yards per attempt because he sucks. Let me let me try this on you. In the same way, in the same way that the Veer and Shoot offense is really good at creating big plays in the passing game or creating easy gains in the run game until you get to third and short or the red zone. And Oklahoma fans, I've listened to so many Oklahoma fans that are mystified. Like, how come our run game is awesome until third and short? How come our game is awesome into the red zone? Because teams stop respecting the RPO. That's why. Right. They they outnumber the run, and then your whole scheme falls apart. That's why. He's very good at big plays in the passing game, and he's good at running the ball. Um, Although I think a high volume is not a good idea because he's not that much bigger than me. And he's good at making something happen with those legs as well. Yeah. Those are amazing qualities to have in your college quarterback. But it's a double down on what the scheme already does. So when they get into those like money down situations, his the places where he brings value add don't apply in the places where the offense is Yes. Good point. Well said. You know the transfer quarterback I'm very grateful OU didn't get instead of Dylan Gabriel? Who's that? Sam Hartman. <laughs> yeah. Because Lebby would love to have that guy just pulling the trigger on his offense. Well, he seems and, to like Gabriel. Sorry? I mean, it seemed like Gabriel was going to end up – he was going to go to Ole Miss until Lebby came to Norman, so. Yeah, no, I, I think that they were sold on each other, and um, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. Uh, I think he – I think Gabriel is going to ultimately be a frustrating quarterback for Sooner fans to look back on. He might have the record for, like, all-time yardage or something – Cause he's like a five year starter or something. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, he's, he's just been a starter forever, uh, but he's also had multiple seasons. He's also had multiple seasons ended by injury. Yeah. So yeah, well, that is an interesting conclusion to this podcast. And yeah, I may, I may regret giving the Sooners a little too much credit in some of those tight games against, frankly, what I don't think are great football teams, the BYUs, the, the Oklahoma States. But Ian's point may hold. And if the Sooners go six and six, I, I guess that would be fine by me. Nine, I, I think nine and three is definitely possible. Do you think that's their ceiling? Yeah. And, and I don't the... think they will touch their ceiling because they have too many problems still. And so what do you think their floor is? Is it six and six? I I think their floor is a losing record. Oof. They, I mean, if they lost Gabriel earlier in, early in the year, 
like there's there's no game that they can't lose you know yeah um hopefully he's healthy i don't necessarily wish good on oklahoma but you definitely don't want someone to get injured so yeah i think that's fair so thus concludes our special feature that i think will be enjoyed by texas and ou fans or at least oklahoma state fans uh alike uh ian any parting thoughts on the sooners before we say adieu um to any Oklahoma fans, as the season progresses and it goes if it if and when it goes south, you can you can send us private messages. You don't have to do it publicly. Just tell us I was wrong. This is terrible. <laughs> when can I expect this to get better? What do I look for to know if it's getting better? And then we'll and then we will answer depending on how the season at Texas goes. That's right. We we <laughs> cannot project an air of superiority and confidence if the wheels fall <laughs> off of us. But if we're cruising along and playing in the Big Twelve title game, uh, by all means, implore us, and we will tell you what the signs look like because we'll we've say. we've had our walk through the desert. A lot. There's a whole generation of OU fans, Ian, who don't know what John Blake feels like. I I know. I. My favorite thing to say to Oklahoma fans and to a few other fans across the Big 12 is none of you have seen a dead donkey. Do you know where that's from? No. It's an animal farm. All the animals are like talking up the revolution, right? And the donkey is like, yeah, we'll see. Because the donkey is old and he's seen some stuff. And whenever they're like, well, don't you understand? Like, this is why the revolution is right. This is why things are going to be better. And this is why things are going to be good. He'll just say, none of you have seen a dead donkey. <laughs> like I've been around long, you know? Yeah. That's how I feel as a, as a Texas alum and observer for the last, however long. When all these fans of teams that have had like the same coach and coaching stability for forever. And they think that like Texas is just like a cesspool that's incapable of doing anything right. And their program is like a utopia where nothing can possibly go wrong. You just wait. You see what you see what it's like if you have a good coach and they get past their prime or whatever happens and you don't have them anymore. It's different on the other side. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh It's funny because I used to be regarded in late Mac as sort of a hater. Yeah. I bet because, you <laughs> well, because I would always point out, hey, there's a lot of stuff. I know we're winning, but there's a lot of stuff under the hood that we're not doing correctly. And this is about to catch up to us in a, in a big way. Mm, and it's yeah. going to look bad. And people are like, oh, whatever, moron. We're going to go 11 and 2 again. You know, whatever. <laughs> and then and then it hit. And then you don't feel great. You don't get to crow about it because you feel like crap because you're a Texas fan. You, you didn't want to be correct, right? Yeah. And then when you say, hey, actually, after you've been down for a while, people just give up, right? And you say, hey, look, we can turn this around. Here's what you have to do, X, Y, and Z. Um, and people are like, ah, whatever. 
rose-colored optimists. And so it's just funny, you know, you, you know, I, I'm a hater when things were up and predicting things were about to, to fall because of some bad habits. And then, you know, now I'm a rose-colored optimist because I think Texas might be on its way out, its trek out of the canyon, right? Um, but yeah, you, you never get rewarded for being too early on anything. Yep. Except for the stock market, maybe. Well, but you can be too early on that. You know, you don't, you could say like, oh, AI is the future and you're sitting on some dead AI stock for seven years. Right, right. And then the person who goes, yeah, I think AI is going to be big. I read an article about it and they buy a bunch of AI in 2021 and they go up 175% in six months. And they're like, oh, that was fun. And you've been sitting there like, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> I've been sitting on dead money for seven years. So rarely do you get a reward for being too early. Um, lots of innovative companies have been started with premises that just it wasn't quite right. The market timing, the innovate, the technology, the understanding. And then a year later, basically the same company comes around and people are like, what a great idea. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. Uh, I think it works that way. And, and a lot of things, a lot of things broader than just sports, but we end on this. Line, go ahead. I, I was listening to uh, a few years back, Dan Carlin, you know, hardcore history. Yeah. He did a, uh, he did a show on these like Anabaptist nuts in like Northern Europe and way back when. Sure. And he's outlining their like theology and their beliefs. And I'm like, uh, a lot of this is like mainstream doctrines of modern Christianity. Yeah. These guys were like considered lunatics. This seems, and then he goes, he, he continues to explain this like cult that like seizes control of a city in Europe. And he's like, they also believed in things like, uh, the leader had access to everyone's wife and yes. like all these other things where you're like, Oh, they're lunatics. Yet some of their like main doctrinal points are like now, you know, common. Very, very common. Yeah. Yeah. So just to your point too early. <laughs> too early. Well, you know, there's, yeah, there, there, this is such yeah. a spinoff and tangent now, but you know, the wrong, I was, people, the wrong people jump on early. That's part of the, yeah, part no, of the no question. And, and also, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways I can go down this, but <laughs> the ultimate, I've thrown you the ultimate tangent. Well, you, 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 it just, I was talking about, with, about this with a friend recently and it's exactly true that you have, you have the big arguments in Christianity about Calvinism versus Arminianism, right? Oh, don't get me started on that. All right, I won't. But the point is, even Calvinists today, you would not have wanted to live under the rule of John Calvin in Geneva. <laughs> uh, trust me on that. Uh, getting stoned to death, getting executed because of some, you know, slight misstep. Um, you know, it's, yeah, he, he cleaned those streets up. He cleaned the street. The trains ran on time, Ian, before they're <laughs> even trains. All right, on that note, our trains need to run on time because this <laughs> this thing could go on forever under ridiculous tangents, historical, theological, and otherwise. By the yeah. way, hardcore history, yeah. Dan Carlin, listen to the Mongols one. That's one of the most epic things ever put on audio. It's good. It's good. 
uh, and it gives you a deep respect for a civilization that was simultaneously invading Korea <laughs> and Hungary at the same time before the great Khan died and they had to recall their armies. So get out a map sometime and look at where Korea is and where Hungary is and you get some understanding of what the Mongols did. So anyway, with that, I'm Paul Wadlington. That's Ian Boyd saying, hook em. <laughs>